Canuck Central in the Kintech studio. Kintech Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over 2,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintech.net. Our uh, crack research team here at uh, Sportsnet 650 has given us an update of where Vancouver sits amongst the worst win percentages in the big four sports leagues. Yes. Um, and it's not good, Seth. It's not good. So they're not the worst, right? Like we mentioned, they're not the worst. Because they haven't won anything, I can understand why people think they might be there, but they're in the conversation. Um, they have the fifth worst win percentage out of any team in the four major sports. The Vancouver Grizzlies slash Memphis Grizzlies franchise Even has better. a higher win percentage than the Vancouver Canucks. Do. They're at 43%. The Canucks are at four, uh, uh, 41.9%, 42% pretty much, rounding it up. So the lows have been low and the highs have been high for the Vancouver Canucks, as uh, yes. as we discussed. A lot of lows. Check out the mailbag. It's uh, available up on uh, your favorite podcatcher. As we speak, let's bring in our next guest. It is Yannick Hansen, who joins us uh, every Friday here on Canuck Central, uh, our Friday hockey analyst. Thanks for this, Yannick. How are you? Yeah, I'm good. How are you? Uh, we're, uh, we're we're doing well. So uh, Canucks had, had won five in a row, and then they go into Arizona last night and lay a bit of an egg, and right away the coach goes right back in on them. And I... I quite liked it from Tockett because I think he, he sees what he has in this team. And I know we've discussed this over and over and over again, but the quote I loved most after the game from Tockett was, maybe, you know, they're still a little high on themselves. Uh, I don't know. Uh, I, as his uh, response to why did they have such a tough performance on the night. And it just feels like Tockett won't take his finger off of this team or his foot off the neck of this team until he sees them actually, you know, do things consistently well. Yeah, you you definitely can't let them get complacent, which probably what has happened in the past. They played some well games and then it just kind of middle out. Um, and again, to your point, uh, you want to keep them on their toes um, and that's all good and well. Um, but again, this is where, Again, this should be coming from the team, um, the leadership group, and all these things. It's fine the coaches do it here and there, um, but but it can't be the coach's job all the time. Um, so again, it, it's it's an anomaly right now. They're out of the season when he steps in. There's only so many games left, and you're just trying to get some sort of momentum carrying into into the off season and next year. Obviously, he's trying to to find out uh, which players he's going to want to keep uh build around and then which ones are are a little more expandable probably well and one of the things too and like like reach was mentioning and you're mentioning it has to come down to the players because we saw the other coaches say similar things about preparation and as much as the systems have improved in terms of truly turning the corner and really changing your habits it takes a long time doesn't it i mean it's one thing to do some things on ice it's another to do it for like 25 games 30 games 40 games being prepared coming off the off season being ready with their, your preparation that's a whole other level isn't it uh, that's the thing about being a career nhl and just having a sniff um like i think i've mentioned this multiple times but Every hockey player in this um, vicinity 
American League coming in sniffing, they can play an NHL game without looking out of place. They can play five as well. The the the, the real challenge become playing seventy good games, seventy five good games through an entire season, being good when it matters, not when you're feeling good, when you're hyped up on adrenaline. Um, when everything is going going well for you, because everybody is good hockey players, everybody can put it together, everybody can shoot, skate, and pass, and all these things. Um, but doing it consistently, night after night, uh, when you aren't feeling it, little sleep, bad sleep, uh, uh, bad meal, whatever you want, that that's what separates the guys that play for years and the guys that just come in and, and play a season here and there and, and bounce around and then off you go. So it is the challenging part is being good uh, all the time, every time um, when you aren't feeling it, when you'd rather be somewhere else um, that, that that's when the, the, the good separates from the great. How long did it take you to find that level of consistency? In oh, your game? Uh, it, that consistency um, again, if, we, we we were I was forced into that consistency because uh, uh, what do you say uh, being perfect was just uh, uh, what was demanded of us when we we, we roll, rolled around ten and eleven that there was no time for for not playing well not being prepared not being good um, and again it helped that you have a good team so that when we had our uh, in quotation bad games um, it didn't matter because skill still found a way to win us some of those games. Um, and you can have those off nights, but 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 again, it uh, it takes years. It takes culture. It takes uh, preparation. It takes uh, trust in each other. Um, and again, that that you believe that uh, okay, he he's gonna do the exact same thing I am. The guy who's sitting next to me, and he's not just here for 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 himself and and for his future. Um, so again, it, it takes again winning. And it's chicken and the egg. What's going to come first here? Um, but but at some point, you, you need some success in order to build this uh, this culture everybody is talking about. Um, but it's not going to come until you start winning. So it's it's very hard to it's very hard to get once you don't have it. And when you do have it, you, you're fighting tooth and nail to 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 keep it. And whoever you're bringing in, get them up to speed and, and into the same uh, atmosphere as quick as possible so uh, the engine is humming uh, nice and smoothly and you don't have all these uh, cranking in the gears. Well, yeah, and I think one of the things, too, that we're seeing from players on an individual basis and the guy who personifies this in a big way, I think, is Brock Besser because we've seen what a guys like JT can do recently. We're still looking to see Brock Besser's overall game. He's been very productive, and, you know, we mentioned this the other day. He has 18 points, now has 18 points in 21 games under uh, Rick Tockett, and he has six primary assists at that stage. He has nine, actually, if you include the power play, but he only has three goals, and some of the defensive stuff obviously has been of an issue. But is he a guy that you see the points, you see a lot of what he can do, but there's a, in terms of him being an effective hockey player, there's still another level he has to find in that regard as well? Yeah, because we saw what he did earlier in his career, and you have to believe that he's, hopefully becoming a better player and not regressing for where he was. That's why he's so tantalizing because we've seen the shot. We've seen what he can do, um, but but it's just kind of, it, it's missing. And it's that pure goal score that JT Miller and, and PD are phenomenal players. Um, but again, having that, that shooter to finisher is a great compliment to have to your centermen's. 
Um, and he's one of those guys that you look to that if he could elevate it or just even get back to where he was in his rookie season, scoring that 30-goal um, pace, that then all of a sudden it's another guy you can rely on uh, and it makes the team that much better. Um, and one of the things I'm also looking at it with Brock is like, is this the, the the news that are coming out? Is he wanting out? At the eight, we're still hearing tidbits from agents looking around that that's not good either when you're trying to create a culture and move a team in the right direction. Because if you have a player that's not comfortable, doesn't really want to be there, it, it, it divides it a little bit. So so again, you're looking to him to hopefully new coach coming in, um, finding his footing, and then know where you know what I'm going to be here. I, I've been here for a long time and and let's run with it or again move on because it, it's one of those things that aren't necessarily measured on the ice but but in the room it, it can create a little bit when you have a guy who is uh, on his toes on on where he's he's wanting to be and, and maybe where he's needing to be we know brock's like his his pace and his speed has never really been you know one of his best traits as a player and for me i felt like the game has gotten faster around him and he hasn't been able to you know, grow his speed at the same time. And so we're noticing that lack of pace even more now than we did earlier in his career. At 26 years old now, is there ways that Brock can go into the summer and increase his short area quickness? No, I don't think so. But I also don't think it's as necessary. And I know it's picking a player out of the blue, but Joel Pavelski, he was never quick, uh, has never been quick, but continues to produce even at, what is he now, 36, 37. And I know that's just picking a player. It's a completely different uh, animal right now. But but you don't need blinding speed. But, but then you need to be smart. Um, you need to know where to be get in the right position, uh, playing with, with a different level of co- confidence, using your line mates a little bit different. So so it's not like you can say, okay, this guy isn't fast, can't play in the NHL anymore. Brock has lots of attributes that other players would love to have. have. Um, mm-hmm. So it, it's a matter of being the best version of himself and then getting that to translate. Obviously, you can get some help from your uh, line mates in this case. And again, uh, coach plays uh, Brock with some faster skaters that kind of makes up for this a little bit. And then he can get in position for himself. So when he does get this puck in the middle of the slot, well, it, it's barring down. And that's where we kind of need to, to get him to. Uh, so again, chemistry with line mates um, in the right setting. Um, I'm not too worried about his, his foot speed because again, if you could have changed this, like everybody would have come in and, and tried to be as fast as they could because it's such an advantage. But there's just, it's what do you say? It's um, it, it comes from nature. Some guys have it and, and some guys don't. Well, and you know, one of the things that uh, I really find interesting here too is just what the head coach is trying to do. Now, he's mentioned Besser and trying to reach him and thinking, obviously, there's more he can do in, in the offseason and in terms of preparation, but also in terms of getting players invested into what he's trying to preach. And I see a lot of people wondering, and we, we wonder too, does it make sense to play Quinn Hughes 28 minutes a game like he has been, playing his forwards a lot of minutes? Now, they won five out of their last six, of course, and they've had some success. But in terms of what the coach is doing, do you understand why he's doing what he's doing as a new coach, or do you think he really should be limiting the ice time right now? Yeah, again, you're you're not. He's obviously coaching to win, and then you put your best players on the ice, um, 
and that is Quinn. Um, does it make sense to uh, run your players like that now? I don't think so in where they are. Um, but again, there might be some hidden motive. I don't know what they are. Um, again, like I said, you, you need some some success here. Um, and having Quinn on the ice, there's, there's a bigger chance of that happening. Um, again, some injuries on the back end. They're, they're a little thin uh, as well there. So it's not like he got a ton of other opportunities to throw in. Um, but, but, but no, at this point in the season, um, you, I wouldn't mind them spreading the ice a little bit more. Um, I know fatigue is not going to be an issue. He's young and he's got the whole off season and all these things. Um, maybe he's trying to, to see what happens down the stretch next year. If I need to play Quinn for, for 30 minutes a night for 20 straight games, can he carry this? Um, but again, there, there's a lot of question marks on that as well. Um, so, so again, only, only, only the coach knows that one. It feels like he's uh, he's challenging a lot of uh, players as well, and you know we only know what what he says in the media, but it seems like every day after practice he's saying these guys got to go out and have good summers. Uh, he hinted that he'd like to see guys show up here in Vancouver three four weeks before training camp, and you know I think this is goes back to you know it comes down to the players they've got to be the ones that are willing to do all this but definitely feels like a challenge he doesn't seem to think that this team is uh where it needs to be fitness wise in order to play the game that he truly wants them to play no and that's scary to hear because that should have been a given it shouldn't even be questionable whether or not guys are in shape or showing up in in good enough shape um, yeah. that that's just that that's number one on your on your goal for the off season like make sure you're in shape uh, that that's why we have it uh, prepare yourself for the best uh, uh, best possible outcome you can't maintain it that's impossible but as soon as you, you show up in camp that first day that that should be the day you were in the best shape if you will gym wise um, and that stuff then the the conditioning on the ice will, will take over and you'll start losing some of that strength because you're not lifting the same way anymore. But, but the fact that we're still talking about it and then guys need good summers and like, it, it's kind of a little bit mind blowing because that, that should just be in their own best interest. Um, and it is easier said than done because obviously you got to put in the work and, and all these things. But, but again, it comes back to the, the culture that, um, I know that the guy next to me, he's working just as hard at me as I am uh, five, six days of the week in the summer. He's just not just in the bars or, or on the golf course having a good time with his buddies. No, he's he's getting ready so that when we hit October and the game starts, we we're, we give ourselves the best possible way of, of success and, and winning games. One player who's having a lot of success is being acquired by Vancouver is Anthony Bevilier, who now has 16 points in 18 games on pace for point uh, on pace for a career season. His career high is 39 points. He has 36, and he's going to eclipse that since being acquired. And he wasn't he was struggling before Vancouver got him as well. What do you make of him as a player? Like, is he a guy who, at the very least, you look at and say he has increased his value, or are you still kind of questioning what it's going to look like with him next season? No, definitely. If you can uh, develop chemistry with PD and, and play on his wing, um, again, it probably inflate his numbers a little bit than if he's playing with um, any of the other centers. But, but again, it's—I wouldn't say he was a throw-in, um, but he, but that's kind of how we talked about it in the beginning. And he's proven himself a, a very capable player right now, and he's filling a, a good role that 
when we come back next season and, and hopefully everybody is healthy, now you have a Mikheyev, you can throw in the mix as well. And, and all of a sudden your, your top six becomes a top nine and, and these things. Um, so it's good to see that he's, uh, again, playing up to what he did early in his career. And, and he's not old by, by any means. So, so if you can get him on a right track as, as well, it's another, another shot in the barrel. Uh, use him however you want to. He has a, a little bit different style than, than the other wingers we have. He's a little more hard worker, uh, getting the corners in front of the net, stuff like that. Um, so, so he provides some flexibility. Um, and again, anytime you have a player who can swap in and out, we haven't seen him play too many shifts or games with other centers than Petey. But again, he kind of have that style that, that can translate and become a grinder and you can throw him on another person's line and he'll go in, dig for pucks, uh, good on the forecheck and these things. Again, it will take more time uh, and again, playing games that matters to, to get a better idea of, of where all these players uh, land and what you really have. But uh, again, it has been a positive and a nice surprise uh, as to what he's done since the trade. What's going to be the hardest thing for Kuzmenko to do in order to repeat or come close to the season he's just had with the Canucks? Do it all over again, yeah. Um, I, I mean, he's blown the shoes out of just about everybody. I didn't expect that this by any means. Um, I thought when when he had the good start, he's like, okay, he's coming from Russia um, and everything is new and fun and all these things, but, but he's just continued to do it. Um, when, when Taka came in, um, he gave him a hard time as well, uh, benched him, uh, less ice time, but, but he still found a way, and now he's right back to where he was before. Um, so he, very positive, and again, uh, hoping that he can can continue down this path because again, he's uh, he's a player who uh, rubs off on other guys, and mm-hmm. he plays with this uh, charismatic and enthusiasm that that rubs off, and it's fun to see. It gets guys engaged. Um, so, so again, if you if he continues this, then then you really have something. Uh, and again, there's also always that first, oh, is this a one-off or, or all these things? But, but I mean, he's closing on, on 40 goals. Uh, not a lot of guys do that. And even if you do it one, you're, you're, you're a hell of a player. So, so again, uh, complacency, um, come back with the same attitude, uh, will to work. Uh, and again, he, I can see him getting better as well. English getting better, getting more climatized, accustomed to North America and all these things. Um, again, you're you're hoping all these things pan out. Um, and again, he's on a phenomenal deal. Uh, they managed to get him for not only a good uh, dollar amount, but but also uh, year wise. So even if it takes a a step back, well, it's, it's only two years, so mm-hmm. so it's not like you're you're committed for for the for a decade or so. Well, and yeah, he's been such a uh, such a fit here with Elias Pettersson and, and on this team, and, I, and I'm really interested to see what he does next year. Now, before we let you go, uh, Bruce Boudreaux, uh, he was on NHL on TNT, I believe it was, or NHL Network, and uh, he was asked about Elias Pettersson, and he mentioned that he thinks Pettersson should be the next captain of the team. And one of the things he also mentioned was Pettersson isn't a player who likes to be yelled at. He doesn't respond well to that. He responds well to being challenged in terms of telling him to go out there and have a big game and asking him you know, to do bigger things. He responds to that, but not to being yelled. What, what do you make of uh, the coach saying he should be the captain and, and describing him in such a way? Yeah, again, that's uh, when somebody like that speaks, you, you tend to listen. 
Um, and again, he knows him on a different level than, than we do. Um, PD has some trades that are definitely captain materials. He also has some that right away screams no. Um, and one of the things is, is the media availability, his persona when he's communicating, trying to get a message across. And this is something that can be taught and helped. Um, but but again, he doesn't he doesn't like he doesn't seem like he likes it. He enjoys it. Um, it it's a little more, more shrugging the shoulders. And again, if you're going to be the captain of the Vancouver Canucks, um, you got to be able to communicate. You got to come out. You got to face you guys yeah. all the time. And that's a tough job. Um, there's no question um, what he brings uh, on the ice and all these things. Uh, best player and all these things. All, all and again, drive the bus. He can be cap, but. You need the other part as well. So that's why I, I, I don't feel like they should rush this in any way. Run with four alternates as long as you want, um, even until you start getting good, because it's not fun to stand in front of the media when you're losing and you have to respond to all these things about the team not being where they need to be, where when you're on that upward trajectory, it's a lot easier to be a captain because it's a lot more positive. You're fighting for playoff spots. You're hopefully winning playoff rounds and these things. So the, the tough tasks become less. Um, so, so again, for, for, for me, it's more so the way he, he carries himself and communicates and delivers a message because once you become a captain – it's not just about the team and your play anymore. No, you're, you're, you're the face of the franchise and, and you're also dealing with what's going on in the real world. Yeah. Um, so so there, there's more intangibles than just being a, a good hockey player in that sense. Um, so if, again, if he could get some pointers there, I know there's another Swedish guy in the organization who could probably help him. Yeah. Um, but, but again, those are the missing parts that I see from the outside that, that could benefit him before he get to see. Yannick, uh, we appreciate the time as always. Uh, we know you're taking a couple weeks off, so we'll speak soon. Yeah, sounds good. Take care. Uh, there is Yannick Hansen, our Friday hockey analyst, joining us here on Canuck Central. And when Yannick joins us on Fridays, he is brought to you by Magnuson Auto Group, Metro Ford, Port Coquitlam, and Magnuson Ford in Abbotsford on both sides of the Fraser to serve you. Always good from Yannick. Yeah, terrific insight as always. Uh, coming up, we're going to have Harmon Dial uh, of The Athletic. More on your Vancouver Canucks and some of your questions continuing to filter into the Dunbar Lumber text message inbox. That's next on Canuck Central. It is Canuck Central in the Kintech studio. Kintech Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over 15, no, no, it's 2,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintech.net. This hour brought to you by Andrew Sherritt Limited, your plumbing and heating wholesaler, a proud family-owned BC company helping local business since 1892. If you missed the mailbag, we've already got it up. And ready for you at the Canuck Central podcast feed. We did it off the top of the show today, so you can check that out and also subscribe, so that way you never miss any edition of Canuck Central, any of our exclusive interviews or post-game shows, as all are available via the podcast feed. Still a ton coming into uh, the Dunbar Lumber text message inbox. We just had Yannick Hansen on, Jeffro. I've been writing Yannick's quotes down. I'm going to memorize them and start using them in beer league. I'll sound so smart. 
Not bad. I mean, hey, anytime you uh, you learn from Yana Hansen, I think you're better off. Yep. So, interesting smart what, move. Interesting what he uh, said about the summer thing. Mm-hmm. Like, coach shouldn't be needing to talk about you needing a big summer, fitness-wise. No, and it's not the first time we've heard it. No. Um, and I don't think it's just directed at some of the younger players who, and most guys will tell you this, like it takes you a while to like really hone in on what you need to do in the summer. Yeah. Yannick has talked to us about yeah. that. There's sacrifices you have to make. Yeah. You can't live the lifestyle you've, you've been wanting to live and have fun yeah. doing in your teens. Mm-hmm. And so you got to really stomp it down come summertime. Uh, all right. Let's bring in our next guest. That is Harmon Dial of The Athletic joining us here on uh, on Canucks Central. Thanks for this, Harm. Always appreciate your time. So we're looking at this Canucks team. They just won five in a row. And what I really liked about Rick Tockett last night is it's he didn't give a damn that they won five in a row. Like, hey, you guys are still 24th in the league. You, you can't afford to let up against anybody. And that, I think, plays into this whole idea of him breaking down this team and trying to build it back up and reset the culture of the Vancouver Canucks. I know it's a lot of intangible talk, but that's essentially Rick Tockett's job right now. Absolutely. I mean, when you speak about culture and players always talk about the idea of, um, of becoming professionals, one of the most interesting things that you sort of learn when you try and really dive deeper into what that actually means in practical terms is um, really understanding that it doesn't matter what happened yesterday in terms of whether you won, whether you've lost, where your team is at. It's that every day you have to treat it as an opportunity um, to progress, work on your game, get better. And that's a lot easier said than done because uh, I remember, for example, chatting with JT Miller about this, uh, about this topic exactly a year or two ago where he said that he learned it from the culture with the New York Rangers where Mm-hmm. A lot of times you come in as a young player and you, let's say, have a long road trip and you get in, uh, get get back home from, from a long road trip. It's 1 a.m. and, um, you know, maybe the next day you have a, a practice or you've got uh, a game coming up. It's like understanding that each and every practice, each and every game day skate, like, holds value and that you have to use it as an opportunity to get better. And if you just sort of, like, pick your spots, which, again, is really easy to do given um, how how tough the travel demands are that that's where your standard starts to uh, slip and I think that's exactly what talk it is is trying to sort of instill are these um, are these habits and, and ensuring that the best way to create that culture also is to have internal accountability within within your own team right like it's one thing for the coach to sort of try and instill this and it's really important for the coach to do that but I think the next step in, you know, from talking on downward is the leaders uh, on this team have to sort of push that standard um, as well. That's another big thing that, um, that I think players resonate with is Mm -hmm. it's one thing if your coach is barking at you and um, you know, that player isn't, or that coach isn't going through the same, um, you know, physical, um, physical toll that, uh, that you are actually playing these games and going through these practices. But when you have the top players on your team also setting that standard, you, you get this kind of feeling of like, Man, if, if, you know, the classic example, Sidney Crosby is going at this type of pace each and every day. Like, I feel an obligation. I feel a duty to sort of, um, like, work my absolute tail off every day. So um, I think, you know, it starts with talk. It The next interesting thing is going to be who's going to be part of the leadership group that can, that can really help 
make sure that um, there's internal accountability for that as well. Well, and, you know, that accountability is something that you see from Elias Pettersson in terms of his play this year. And I think something he had to kind of learn last year, and there's been a kind of progress in his game. And, I mean, he's been so incredibly consistent. There are parts of his game, like anybody throughout the year, that, you know, defensively maybe he's he's been at times maybe not as clean as he, he always is, but we know what he's capable of, and he has 85 points on the season. And one thing that it's, is becoming very clear, and I'm not taking anything away from Kuzmenko because he's been marvelous, right? And you give him all the credit for how hard he's worked and what he's done and same to Bavillier for everything he's done but two guys who are talented but know how to play with a guy like Pedersen he's able to create surplus value for his wingers isn't he absolutely it's it's a case of um even going back to the the second half of last season when he really started to get going it was a, a case of whoever you put on his mm-hmm. line in terms of wingers he's just able to make it work and he's able to elevate their stock, elevate their value. I remember when the Canucks were sort of down the stretch hammered with injuries, um, Miller and Pedersen were still churning. And it was as if, you know, for Pedersen, like there was a point where Chason was on his line and yeah. uh, Pedersen was elevating Chason to the point where he was scoring goals and, and chipping in with points and, and going on a heater. Um, and so, yeah, it's you're absolutely seeing that level of all-around ability from uh, from Pedersen and, and also like one thing just to sort of you know a lateral that I've a trend that I've noticed in recent games is with Queen Hughes as well you're also seeing that there are mo- more moments where it's like he's demanding the puck sometimes and you can tell like he wants to try and put the team on his back like there was a long shifting offensive zone and just in just in the game against the Coyotes where um, he was beaver tapping for the puck and you could just see the way that he was attacking the net and trying to set up plays, it was like, you could tell that this wasn't just, you know, a ro- rookie or sophomore type player who's, um, who's just, you know, trying to be part, one of the pieces of the puzzle. It's like, you could tell that there was the way that he was trying to get the Canucks back in that game. It, it was, it was different. Like it was just, a di- you could see it in his body language. You could see it in the plays that he was trying to make. Um, we've seen even at points earlier in the season with how he's competed in practice, uh, so with both Pedersen and Hughes, absolutely, they've done their absolute best uh, to try and take um, to try and take their respective games to to the next level, which is really important, right? With Pedersen sort of um, coming out of the funk from uh, the first half of last season, Hughes bouncing back from a rough sort of first month of the season where it seemed, you know, maybe as if his defensive game wasn't quite where 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 you want where he would have wanted it to be. Both of those guys have been absolutely dominant. Um, and I think that's going to be crucial um, in sort of setting the bar for this group. I know uh, you, you took a look at some of the things that uh, we're starting to see under Rick Tockett and, and what's changing about this team, not just from a results standpoint. Um, the, the one thing that I think has been a drastic difference seems to be the breakouts. What are the Canucks doing differently that's allowed them to break the puck out more efficiently? Yeah, it seems as if the forwards, both the centers and the wingers, are coming a lot deeper, and it creates uh, creates a lot of circumstances where, in the past, the defenseman might be under pressure behind his net um, with four checkers right on him, and and it's like he wouldn't have the immediate five to ten foot passing option to sort of relieve that pressure as a sort of safety valve, and so a lot of times uh, the defenseman might hold on to that puck for a split second longer, trying to analyze what his options are, and in that meantime, he gets stripped of the puck. Or he doesn't have any options, and all he can do is sort of try and flip it out into the neutral zone 
um, where the opposition, opposition was sort of able to uh, recover it. And this was really apparent in the game against the Dallas, especially in the third period when they were trying to nurse uh, the lead, was just how deep the, the centermen were coming, how deep the wingers were coming. And it makes it a lot easier for these defensemen where not, now all of a sudden you're not asking them to make home run plays. You're just asking them to execute on these uh, shorter passes. And even and the key to that too is like, even when, let's say, there's a short pop pass to a centerman, there's a trust level there, I think, right now, where the centerman also knows that, okay, I'm going to have a winger close by as well. They're all connected as a sort of five-man unit, which um, is important if you want to excel playing that way because um, it's one thing to sort of just just you know be close to each other in, in proximity, but you have to trust the, that in order to execute these small passes, like, when you're trying to make them in the, in the defensive zone, there's always a risk of turnover. So you've got to know that the next guy is going to be in the right position. And that's where they've been successful with that. Whereas again, in the past, you'd see these really um, significant gaps between the forwards and defensemen. So um, that's been an interesting quirk. And um, I'm going to be interested to see if they can continue having success with it moving forward, because they, under both Boudreaux and Green, um, I don't think that they ever tried to... Um, sort of stick and we're, and we're really able to find success um, in playing as a more connected five-man unit on the breakout. Well, and one of the things too, you have to help out as much as people are giving a lot of credit to these defensemen and we should, right? I mean, they've played really well and you're the, this, these are depth guys coming in and doing a really good job here at the NHL level, but there's a lot of sheltering going on, right? Especially for anybody not named Quinn Hughes and even Tyler Myers at, the, at this stage. Everybody else is being sheltered. Everybody else is getting a lot of support. Is that support going to be as necessary if you improve, improve the defense, or do you think that just bolsters how you play as a team if you have better defensemen? I think I think it's honestly the way you need to play in the modern NHL, and it's like you said. I think the improvement of the forwards is two-way commitment and work ethic without the puck um, and helping from a two hundred foot basis. I think that is by far the biggest difference I've noticed, mm-hmm. um, in a lot of different areas, right? One in terms of how deep they're coming on the breakout. Um, also even in what they're doing with the pocket off of offenses on entries, they've significantly cut down on their turnovers, which means that, you know, there, there aren't a lot of instances where let's say there's a, a offensive zone sort of turnover off the rush, and the defense are exposed on an on-man rush against. Like, that. that is also a huge help. And, and, and we're looking at, like, how much better the Canucks have been defensively. A big reason for that is how much, um, how much less they're conceding off the rush. And, again, I think a lot of that has to do with uh, forwards managing the puck more responsibly. And when you're managing the puck more responsibly, that means that when the opposition is able to recover the puck, then you have forwards back. And, and it feels like the forwards are doing a much better job of uh, helping clog the middle uh, and sort of funnel guys to the outside or, or at least be able to uh, even disrupt plays. So 100%, um, even seeing the back pressure, mm-hmm. guys hustling on the back check in a way that I haven't really seen before. They're winning a lot more board battles than we're, than we're used to. Um, the big question you always have is the consistency, of course, right? Is can they keep it up? Is this more just a case of an, of, of an initial bump with the new head coach? But uh, absolutely, I think the infrastructure um, for these uh, def- defenders is way different than it was earlier in the season when I would look at the forwards and I would go um, like they haven't done nearly enough to help out uh, the defensemen. Yeah, well, absolutely. Right. And, you know, this has been a discussion that we've had quite a bit over the years. 
actually defending as a team, playing a style that can be conducive, not only to win games and be successful in the regular season, but once you get to the playoffs, actually be able to win hockey games. And it's lessons every single, you know, talented hockey team has learned, right? I mean, go back even to the uh, the Canucks back in the day, the reason Elaine Vigneault always preached playing the right way, and we saw how that worked out, right? I mean, we've seen the Tampa Bay Lightning have to go through their tri- their struggles to figure that out. We saw with Colorado, we'll see if the Leafs figure it out. But like, you're not going to be a good team in the postseason unless you play this way. I think you're absolutely nailing it harm if you want to be a competitive team in the nhl you have to play quote unquote the right way and that's not to go get a bunch of pluggers to come in and play the right way it's getting your top guys invested in playing the style of hockey for sure and this is where you look at the canucks this season you know they they have no problem scoring goals but the issue they've had is they can't win a game where they only score two or three goals right like that's been the central sort of problem for them and getting guys to buy into playing that style isn't always, um, isn't always easy, right? Because it's not a fun part of the game. It requires a lot of physical um, sort of output. Um, like I, I've been watching, for example, we've seen JT Miller really um, improve his play under talk. It, I've, I've been seeing, you know, the way that he's had to battle down low, help support on the breakout. He's doing all the things. I can see just how physically intensive that is. Um, and obviously that spans for all the forwards. You also have a situation, right, where even from an individual perspective, coaches can preach these details and they're extremely valuable to winning. But even from a player's perspective, you think about from their shoes, what gets them paid ultimately is, is points, right? It's, it's output. It's production. It's, um, it's, the, it's those numbers that don't necessarily show up when you're cleaning up all, all of these sorts of uh, details. So. Uh, you can tell why earlier in the season guys sometimes cheat a little bit for offense. It's just um, it, it's just part of um, uh, part of of a lot of players' the DNA, not just on this roster but around the NHL. And the way you get them to sort of uh, buy into playing a um, a more 200 foot brand of hockey is by getting the players to believe that the team is is headed uh, in a meaningful direction. Right? That 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 the team can find success. That they can make the playoffs. That there is something. Um, really working because all of a sudden if you have an environment where the team's um, you know losing a lot or you or you have your doubts about whether this uh, project is headed headed in the right direction or not that's when it's hard to continue to buy into what you know coaching staff or management is telling you I mean even look at this is also a big difference as well I think is with Taka coming in he's he's got term on his contract like you know he's going to be around like, you know he's going to be in the picture. Whereas with Boudreaux this season, for example, um, you know, it's like he's, um, he's a lame duck coach. Uh, last year, Travis Green in the final year of his contract as well. And, and, and I'm not trying to say that the players tuned those guys out necessarily because I think that they respected both coaches. Um, but I do think that there's a different level of, um, of responsibility to have to, like, follow exactly what the coach is preaching when you know that, okay, this, this is manager's guy, he's going to be around for a long time, and we're, we're serious about trying to you know, reestablish the culture and uh, this team's fortunes moving forward. Sat and I talked yesterday about Oliver Ekman Larson, and you know, there's a good chance you know, we do see him before the end of the year here. Is there anything OEL can do to um, sort of give you confidence that he can bounce back next year whenever he does get in a few games at the end of this season? Yeah, I think for starters, we need to see him away from Myers, right? Because that pairing has, together, they're just too slow and they've been exposed off the rush a lot. 
But we saw earlier at points when, for example, OEL played with Bear, um, not that OEL was playing at the level that he was last season when he was legitimately um, helpful top four defenseman, but he was at least competent um, when he played with Bear. So I'm curious to see whether it's with Bear, whether it's um, with Horonic, whenever he um, enters uh, enters the, the equation here, whether he can sort of stabilize his game with a more mobile partner that can help him out in terms of uh, moving the puck as well. And even in terms of uh, transition defense responsibilities, I think finding a more agile fit for him could perhaps be a way to squeeze more value out of him and see if there's anything left in the tank, because um, we know it's been a really tough year for OEL, but I, I am curious to see if it can look any better uh, away from Tyler Myers. Yeah. And I mean, Myers himself, I think we've kind of, we kind of know what it is and what it isn't at this stage. I think OEL is a really interesting one. And, and I do think even seeing Ethan Bear down the stretch is going to be in, instructive. We saw a bit of it, of course, with Talkett and it was improved, but do we consider him a third pair option or perhaps actually being an option next season? If you have Heronic and Quinn Hughes on separate D pairs, that he can be the guy to play alongside Quinn. Absolutely. That's going to be a significant question mark because I think if you're looking at trying to upgrade different parts of the roster for next season, um, this team obviously also needs um, another middle six center, right? And those aren't necessarily easy to acquire as well. So if you look at um, the sorts of um, needs that you have, especially ideally adding another top four defender, you may not be able to... um, you know, solve you, you solve that um, that need, right? Like you, we saw how much it it took to acquire a player like Hronix, so you may have to lean on a stopgap where you go. Um, you know, ideally, this player might be more of a third pair defender on a good team, but can he be a competent fit next to uh, Quinn Hughes and at least be, and at least uh, hold the fourth down and uh, be the fourth guy in our in our top four if that sort of makes sense? And um, that's where Bear earlier. Um, before he went down with injury, seemed to be building some level of uh, chemistry with uh, with Quinn Hughes. They were actually better and and more responsible defensively than I would have figured, right? Like I looked at them initially on paper and thought, okay, those are two guys that aren't the biggest, aren't the most physical, aren't the best in zone defenders. Um, they can both move the puck and, and play off of each other really well, which is um, interesting from a potential standpoint. But I had my question marks in terms of how they would fare in their own end. But they were a lot more reliable than I figured, and. You look at a lot of the underlying da- uh, data, they were dominating in terms of um, shot attempts, scoring chances, goals for and against. So uh, it's going to be interesting to, uh, to sort of see, and especially if it's um, you know, a reasonable cost on a kick-it-down-the-road, uh, one-year sort of deal. Uh, I think there's, uh, there could be value in, uh, in bringing Bear back, and that's absolutely, I think, what he'll be trying to audition for down the stretch once he returns. Uh, before we let you go, Harm, I know you did a, a piece on on Vasily Podkolzin. Uh, what did you learn about the player and his journey, aside from uh, his love for country music? Yeah, so <laughs> it's been interesting because I think one of the, the the biggest lessons he's had to learn, especially since that since recently, um, last few months, he's been working uh, really closely with the Sedins, is underst- understanding not to beat himself up um, uh, mentally. Right, he he said that he sort of came over from Russia, and in in Russia the coaches are a lot more strict, and and he and he said straight up that um, if he'd make mistakes there or or if they'd lose a game, his confidence would immediately plummet, and he'd immediately start thinking, oh, I'm I'm a bad player, right? And so going through these struggles in his sophomore campaign, um, you could see that 
for him, his confidence really started to, to drop. And that's where it's been important for him to have conversations with, uh, with the Sedin to really learn how to deal with the mental side of the game. He said that when he went down to Abbotsford, yes, he'd work on defensive details, wall work, all, all that sort of stuff. But the primary focus was uh, working on that mental side of uh, the game and, and learning how to be able to move on from mistakes, learning that, look, the season's too long. You can't dwell on your mistakes. You have to be able to, um, you know, if, if you mess up, that can't shatter your confidence and lead to more mistakes down the road. So I think that's something that he, he's had to learn. And when I look at him as a player, I think at this point, we're still waiting to see what exactly the identity for him is, right? We we know that he has some in, is, has some... Um, impressive physical tools in terms of his size, in terms in terms of his work rate, um, and occasional flashes of skill. But there's inconsistency both in terms of um, the offensive output and in terms of like, okay, is he a finisher? Is he more of a playmaker? Um, is is there enough production there, which we haven't seen enough of this year? But also on the defensive side, where um, he has a high work rate and he mm-hmm. and he really has this desire desire to improve. Um, and there are some moments where you, where you see him on the back check hustling and breaking plays up, and you're like, okay, wow, there's some progress here. But then there are other nights, like uh, the game just against Arizona, where I watched him closely, and there are a lot of instances where um, trying to make a play in the defensive zone, he'd, he'd be turning pucks over or just missing an assignment, not because of his work rate, but just because of his awareness. And it's like there's inconsistency in his defensive play as well. So it's like moving forward, what kind of player is he? Is he the, is he the sort of player that can – um, at least give you 35, 40 points and, and be a middle six winger from an offensive perspective. Um, and if the offense isn't there, can he at least be someone who develops into a really reliable defensive player who can kill penalties, um, chip in with a little bit of offense and be a sort of Swiss Army knife player that you can sort of trust to go up against um, any sort of player, even in a potential secondary shutdown sort of role. So um, that's going to be the challenge for him is figuring out what area can I really, really excel at and make that my niche, make that my de- my uh, identity. Harm, uh, have a great weekend. Thanks for this. Thanks, thanks, guys. Uh, there is uh, Harmon Dial of The Athletic joining us here on Canuck Central. Yeah, that's a great piece on Put Colson. And, I mean, Put Colson is one of those guys, I, he seems like a really good kid, yeah. and he means really well and sometimes can be maybe his worst enemy in mm-hmm. some sense. And it's almost like have a bit more confidence kid like you're very good and i think that's part of the reason you heard a lot of the guys try to talk him up last year on the squad yeah. the teammates because they love his talent his skill level what he's capable of doing it's just they feel like it's got to come out of him so they've, they're very encouraging and, and positive around him and it's something that he's gonna have to overcome himself right yeah it is and uh for those uh in the uh <laughs> to to just maybe squash a little bit of narrative street on on jt miller uh Pod Colson praising him several times in this piece for the leader that he's been mm-hmm. and the mentor that he's been for Vasily Pod Colson to this point in his career. So, uh, just JT. just huh. a little note, just a little note. How does Pod Colson respond to being yelled at? <laughs> uh, that's uh, that's what we all wonder. Not well, apparently. But not for Patterson, no. But no. that was a uh, that was it was interesting hearing that from Boudreau. It was interesting hearing that from uh, from Boudreaux. We'll get into that a little bit more, and also a lot still to get to here on uh, on Canucks Central. But do want to tell you that Rogers Rome like home is the place to be. Traveling in March, Rogers has you covered. Get one Rome-like home day on Rogers when you travel between now and March 31st. To learn more, go to rogers.com. You are listening to Canuck Central.